What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter, at TheCoachesNet. Once again, that's at TheCoachesNet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. I've got a special guest for me this evening, repeat guest and a fascinating one at best. Steve Salis. Steve, how are you, man? I'm very well. We asked you, mate. Yeah, very well, thanks. Steve, just want to thank you again for being with me again this evening. Uh, but maybe if you just, for those that didn't catch it on the previous episode um, or haven't seen you around elsewhere because you're everywhere right now, man, um, just give a brief around <laughs> who you are and what you do. Uh, well, I'll start with I was a school teacher in South London schools for 17 years, mate, and um, that was really where my skill set really uh, grew and evolved. Uh, people see the football industry now uh, and all the glory, but actually the guts was was working in for failing South London comprehensives as a PE teacher and uh, vice principal. So now, obviously, I'm an author of the book Educating Football and I've been on uh, probably easily the least well-known person on the High Performance Podcast. Um, as you know, my mates still laugh at me that I'm on the same podcast as Toto Wolf and Matthew McConaughey. So that pretty much sums up where my life's gone, mate. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind uh, and so, yeah, really grateful to catch up with you again, talking all life development and football and um, yeah, see where we go with it. Definitely. And, you know, let's let's dive straight in, Steve. Obviously, before we jumped on there, we were having a brief conversation around the attitude to, I guess, just development in general and whether it's just taking on board different ideas and how people actually, how people actually approach that and whether people do that enough and whether it's a football problem if it's not done enough or a societal one. So maybe just give a brief insight on what your thoughts are on it. We'll kind of tailor from there. Yeah, well, we spoke off air a minute ago about about um, listening uh, and how few people, well, you didn't say this, I said this, how few people uh, listen in professional football. And I, and I suppose that, you know, I, I say it on, um, I do work with Scottish FA as well, as well, you know, and um, I say uh, on there, and I'm delivering for them tomorrow night, but the people that look but don't see. So, you know, when you go to a conference or a, or a football match and someone sees you, but they're not really listening to anything you're saying. They're looking behind your shoulder to see who's more important. 
And and only football has loads and loads of those people that don't really connect with you and don't really listen. And I suppose that um, one of my biggest uh, passions, and I write this in my book, I've got a most random book ever. It's called Educating Football, as I've just said, but it's not really about football, it's about life. Just chuck football in the title to sell some copies. But I've got a chapter on there called Stop Interrupting, Let Them Finish. Now, of course, me and you are going to have this podcast today and we're going to, we're going to naturally, organically speak over each other because that's the nature of life. But it's those people, yes, that do it every day, uh, you know, five days a week. So, yeah, don't want weird people out with, oh, God, you know, I've got to really not speak at all. But, you know, people just in football don't, compared to my education experiences, and also teachers don't listen, but the best teachers that I work with, the best leaders anyway, are, are really sincere, authentic listeners. No, and I think it's really interesting you mentioned that. You know, it's just, I think there's a couple of pieces in it, you know, do you think it's a football problem specifically? Because I can totally understand where you're coming from. Because I'll give you an example where part of the, part of me doing this podcast, in it, it, one of the things I've picked up over the years from my own coaching experiences, and maybe it's because of my philosophy and what I'm trying to, I guess, get out from the players is that I wanted to become more self-reflective, more self-aware that a lot of my interaction with players is actually through questioning. So I guess I have to naturally be more attentive to what the responses are. And I guess where those responses are coming from, if you like. And maybe that's not necessarily the case for a lot of people within the coaching world, if you like, um, especially in terms of football-specific coaching, in terms of on-field, maybe not the multiple, multiple disciplinary stuff, whether that be strength and condition or other stuff might be slightly different. And I, I couldn't really comment on that too, too much. But do you think maybe because coaches are so engrossed in their own way of thinking and their own wants in terms of what they're trying to get out of the process, if you like, that they naturally just have tunnel vision to anything else that comes into that? Yeah, I just think it's, if we baseline it, baseline it onto internal, external, so internal what comes from you and external what comes from others, football coaches traditionally think that a 3v2 is going to win a game of football. Right? And I'm not saying every coach. I know there's loads of humanistic coaches out there, but I'm still working with with lots of people in the game as you know I'm working in professional football now that that still genuinely think that tactics wins games of football and and of course tactical acumen at every level of football is important you know even go and watch Ryan and Prem games now the coaching standard is miles better than it ever has been in non-league you know I don't so I'm not knocking the good ones what I suppose I'm knocking is the ones that think they're good and then wonder why they're not good and wonder why they fail and I'm breaking it down and I'm thinking, well, well, yeah, we, we got we got culture this and culture that. And then, you know, you got a culture, but then you're playing your best player and he's a really difficult person, but then you keep talking about culture. And then we got some coaches that that are just obsessed with with outcome rather than process. So they think, you know, having the best budget and the best team and spanking someone every week means they're the best manager. So we've got we've got lots of misalignment in the game, is what I'm trying to say around around you know what success looks like and how it is, and and I suppose that there's some brilliant managers that are middle of the table and bottom six that are just not given the resources to be perceived as being successful, I suppose. And I and I write about this in my book. This is the final thing I say say on this. We've all got our different styles and methods, and I think that's that's great in football, and that's what why we love the game. But the number one thing that any coach or manager can do and the only thing that they can control, the only thing they should be measured on is adding add value, right? So where your players start and where they end. Now, if you're in if you're in three-point football, so at first-team level, 
Now, do you get more points this season than you got last season? Is your points per game better than this season than it was last season? So something, you know, objective. But if you're in development football, that's a little bit harder, isn't it? Because you, you need to sort of change your KPIs and your outcome methodology because we know that that's about getting players into the first team or, or you know, players playing up a year or all of these little nuances. So, yeah, I just want to remind coaches that are listening to this, just give yourself a pat on the back sometimes for how much value you add. Um, and that value that you add is not just technical, tactical, it's it's humanistic, it's school. I mean, how many, how many academy coaches yes, across the country start their sessions at a professional football club and said, how's school today? I guarantee you ain't a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all all I'd say to that is there is often, from my my own experiences, maybe a bit of a segregation as to what happens within the club and what happens outside of it. So I think sometimes it's coaches having that that element of, um, you know, do we really care about that? But actually, no, that's the piece that matters. We need to know what's gone on on the day, whether that's from school, whether that's on their journey here whether that's in the week or the week leading up to this session that we're on today, it might be that, you know, they've had two weeks of Easter holidays or whatnot. And now that, you know, we need to know what they've done in that time. So we can relate and just tap into some of the things that might just break down some barriers and allow them to relax in the environment a little bit more. So I totally get where you're coming from. But I just want to kind of just touch on one more point about the listening aspect of it. Do you think that maybe from a conscious level that because some coaches aren't even thinking about certain things, they actually don't even pick up on some of the messages that people are sharing? So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. You know, obviously I spoke of, of, of here, here and I told you that, you know, I, I've done my first uh, first event for the Coaches Network recently. And one of the things, the bits of feedback that I got was, uh, or questions I got was, have you done this before? You know, I said, no, no, this is the first time I've done it. So, you, you, you know, the questions you ask are quite insightful and thinking, well, it is literally what you just said. I'm paying attention to what's been said because I know that for me, part of the podcast was actually... There's a lot of information out there in what people would consider the elite world of football, elite world of coaching, um, which maybe some of the people that are not in that world, if you like, um, either aren't getting access to or maybe don't quite understand because there's so much jargon language being used. Um, and I saw my role in that process to maybe decipher some of the things that are being said, breaking them down and maybe simplifying it for someone who's got no idea what's been said there, but actually can still take away and apply the concepts, if you like. So where a response might have been given to a certain question and whether that be in that setting or on the podcast, it's right, okay, let's pull out a little bit more from that so people can walk away with some tangible things that they can go and apply. But do you think yeah. that on a general level that because people aren't actually looking at right, what is this information about? Or they might not have ever even considered um, the use of such information that they actually just goes completely over the head when they're actually listening. Um, well, if, let's, let's just link this to schools. It's really hard for me because I've got 25 years of my memory that your listeners don't know anything that's gone on in my life and all these random experiences that I've had around what genuine teaching and learning looks like. Now, so in schools, we've got, we've got lots and lots of policies. Some are good and some are bad. But some of the great policies that are out there are the teaching and learning policies, are the rewards and sanctions policies, are the behaviour for learning policies. Um, And all of these policies um, are obviously all cultural and strategic, but on an operational level, so what that means is on the grass, right? They they are game-changing. So coaching, we just call it, oh, I'm a UA for B coach. But in teaching, we call it teaching and learning. Now, I'm I'm speaking to people all the time about you should be calling your, your... you should be calling your courses coaching and learning. And I'll stand by this one liner. You know, I love my one liners, but just because you taught it doesn't mean to say the players learned it. 
No, I think, you know, if I had a pound for every coach that says, oh, bloody coach them that, hey, bloody learn it. Well, you've coached them, but they ain't learned anything because you're not correlating what you're saying and what they're hearing and, and then validating that with, with you know, what we call assessment for learning. So so self-assessment, peer assessment, coach assessment, written feedback, all feedback, which we would how we measure all this feedback in, in education. So I don't think it's that coaches, uh, you know, don't want to do well. They just don't know how to. They don't know, you know, what what goes on in in terms of in terms of teaching and learning in 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 your courses. Not really. What what's really mentioned about engagement, eye contact, body language, good questions. What are good questions? How do we validate good questions? What is high order thinking? You know, how can we correlate that to critical thinking? You have to, you have to speak to every coach, not in a rude way. They wouldn't know what critical thinking is. So no, no, you're spot on. And the only thing I would say to that is that, you know, maybe at what point do you think that these things are starting to be, should be brought into the qualifications? Because obviously some of this information, in my opinion, should be brought in at the basic level, right at the, right at the beginning, because that's actually, if you like, the, the underpinning of everything. Now, of course, but yeah, but they, yeah, but the, the course designers. So the guided learning hours are the guided learning hours. You look at any, you look at any course, level two, level three, level four. There's a guided learning hour, so that's all correlated. But if the people in charge still think that learning a three v two overload, right? And I'm saying this in a mocking way, a bit of sarcasm. If they still think that that's what's going to win World Cups, then all I'm saying is I, I'm not sure. And I, no, I think that's a great point. And I think coming back to what you said about the assessment for learning piece, maybe just get, help the listeners with a bit of an example as to what that looks like for you. Maybe, maybe I can give you an example. Maybe you can give me some feedback on mine. And, and often what I tend to do is rather than just, like I said, I've taught it. So you now go and do it. You must be able to do it because I'm, I'm just going to assume that you've understood it in the way that I've wanted you to understand it. It's actually whatever concept I've gone through is right. I, I avoid asking the question as who, who understands what I'm looking for because all they're going to do is say yes, because they know yes is probably going to be the quickest route back to starting the game again or starting there we the go. Yeah. Um, or So what I've, what I've kind of gradually shifted towards over the more recent years is this idea of, right, who, just quick show of hands, who's confident enough to explain back to me what, what, it, what, they, what it is they think I'm looking for? Or who can explain back to me what they think I'm expecting to see? Now, it's not to catch anyone out, now I've started to see there's actually a real shift in how they respond to that. Because actually some of them might have hands all the way up. Some of them might only have halfway up and some of them, mm, I'm not too sure, yes. I'm not too sure. And then the next follow-up question is, right, who's, who's not sure about any little bit of what I want to see? Mm. And it doesn't matter what that bit is. Now that just gives me an understanding to say, actually, yes, you know, you might not have explained it as well as you thought you did. And therefore there's, some, there's a lack of clarity somewhere. So it's now my role to actually clarify whatever that lack of clarity was. And then beyond that, it's also actually, if you can't articulate yourself verbally because not everyone's gonna be confident enough or able to do that, how many of you are able to now demonstrate maybe what I wanna see? Yeah, and I think again, where you're making me think here, you know, I'm working in a full-time model. So I don't want the person who's got their team for one hour a week, two hours a week, thinking that we've got some magic wand of development. Um, you know, my experience is also from school where kids get five hours of learning a day and your team might only get an hour a week. So you're not going to be doing bundles of questioning mid, midweek and midwinter when it's pissing down the rain. You're just going to get in the kids playing, you know, and, you know, even looking up games for understanding. If, if no one's aware of games for understanding, go and look it up. Um, so that that's, you know, the styles and methodology. Um, you know, I actually reread the introduction of my book um, last week and I haven't read it for four years, but 
you know, I've taught 39 different disciplines in a school. So understanding learning at a deeper level, you know, even things like putting, you know, on a nice hot sunny day, putting a green cone down, an amber cone down and a red cone down and asking the kids to go and sit down on one of those cones or wherever green they learned loads from last session, amber they really weren't quite sure and red, they really weren't sure about that. And the things that you can learn, you know, around the self-assessment, you know, the think, pair, share, square, um, and that's the think pair share square is unbelievable for a unit for back four or midfield four, you know, so you could say, how can we, how can we outwit the opponents at the weekend? Uh, that's the question. How are we going to outthink them? How are we going to be more clever than them? Do that individually, do that in your center half and right back. And then, and then do that, um, you know, with your back four. Uh, and that's something I, I use with pros, mate. So, um, you know, I just, I just think again, that just having more tools, gives you more choice um and 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 little knowledge is dangerous isn't it so um yeah just making sure that we're we're mindful of the level mindful of the timelines what i mean by timelines is i don't i don't yeah i wouldn't coach the team i had an hour a week the same as i work i coach three hours a week the same as i would coach five hours a week or ten hours a week you have to be massively flexible with what you're doing and why you're doing it linked to how much time you have so I think that's an important message to share. 100%. And obviously, you know, the real underlying thing is it's all rel relative. So, you know, depending on the context of time and whatnot. But would you say there's any underlying principles that would you kind of take from one environment into all the others, regardless of that? Uh, let me think. Clarity of language, clarity of objective, what we're trying to achieve. I think alignment there, as I say, with alignment, we get clarity and misalignment, we get chaos. So is there alignment between what you want and what the kids want? A lot of coaches are not spending enough time to explain why we're doing what we're doing. You know, you plan out, you know, you're trying to get an under, under 12 team to play out and the parents are all screaming it to pump it forward and the kids are getting annoyed because they're losing possession and your training session didn't involve that in the week and then, you know, there's misalignment. So I think, yeah, just clarity of what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think that's the flow. I, you know, it'd be very pedantic of me to start saying, oh, there's there's other trends, um, you know, because we, we wouldn't get this done in an hour. But yeah, just making sure, you know, the start of a lesson, the kids need to know what they're, what they're learning today. So yeah, just making sure there's clarity on, on what you're doing and why you're doing it really. And just, just to follow up on that then, how, how important is that immediate hot reflection at the, set, at the end of the session? in terms of them being able to articulate and clarify for you what they've actually taken away from it or is it is sometimes okay just to kind of leave them with some thought thought time thinking time to simmer maybe it might be a day might even be the following week or, or in, yeah in again you know if a football environment is normally kids putting their bibs down and legging it back to mum and dad or telling them to get home I'm, I'm assuming I don't work at that level anymore but you know I'm assuming that would be so there's loads of ways that you can do it i I'm a big believer on thinking time. So, but I'm also a big believer in that 60% of what you say is going to get forget be forgotten in four hours. So, like, you know, like we've got to get that balance right. I do, I do think that social media now is massive. And when I mean social media, I mean, I mean WhatsApp. Now that's the use of social media where you can maybe deliver a, um, um, a sort of a plenary question, and that plenary question could easily be answered um, on a WhatsApp to the coach. You know, that evening on the way home. So yeah, I don't I don't think it has to be formal and always sat the kids sat there and reflecting because half the kids are looking over their shoulder under pressure because their mum and dad are moaning at them because they want to get home. So I, th I do think that that self awareness again and sensing and smelling the environment and using using the tools we do have now to affect learning in a much more creative way 
rather than than ticking boxes, et cetera, et cetera, because I don't think that always works either. I'll give you an example. I'm obviously working at Cardiff City at the moment. There was a goalie that needed my help, bless him, and um, we had a game of darts. So we played darts, and I spoke to him for half an hour over a game of darts, and that, that was my mentoring session. So I do think that, you know, we have to be creative with with the, the with the resources that we've got. You know, if there's not a dartboard, then I, then I can't do it. If, if I've got a white room and he thinks I'm going to sit there in a white room and make him feel even more awkward, then then I would have only been able to use a white room. I've just introduced a chessboard at the training ground. Um, we've got a PS5 at the training ground now. All these little things, the, the kids, have, we, uh, the players, first-team players have now got more computers to watch huddle. So we've just implemented these little these little strategic changes which can impact learning in you know, a, much, a much bigger way, but also a softer way too. I think that's really key because obviously like sometimes it's allowing the individual to maybe detach themselves from the pressure pressurized environment you know whether that be the match day whether that be the actual training environment itself and actually just completely you know remove themselves from it mentally so I think that you know that's a really good way of doing it but obviously like you said it's Cardiff City the first team um not everyone who's going to be listening to this is going to have the resources but to do something like that so what you know what would you say is maybe some basic approaches that they can probably take if they had to kind of just support players on a lower level if you like well, I think that your questioning is is key. What most what what most coaches do is is ask a generic question where one player puts their hand up and and gives an absolute worldly answer, and the coach thinks, "Bloody hell, look at me! I'm a great coach." And well, what about you know what about the nine other kids that haven't had access to your question? Because you haven't even given them acceptance of the question or, or the the ability to think think about the question. And all you think, oh, I'm a great coach because one kid answers one question. Well, in school, you'd get hammered for that because you know, in my book, I call it, you know, nine kids have got out of learning jail, where this is where the think, pair, share, square comes in. So you give, you, you facilitate a question. And the question is, uh, how can we, how can we outwit the opponents at the weekend? Um, how, you know, and you could break that down into units. So the front three could be, how can we outwit the, the opponents? The midfield three could be, how can we outwork uh, the opponents? And the back four could be how can we prevent the opponents from outwitting us? You know, that's real differentiation for you, isn't it? And then we would say, right, there's a set of questions. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to think about it with a little whiteboard and a little marker pen. And you're all going to do that on your own. And you're going to think of three ways to be able to do that to the best of your ability. And then the reason that's really great is for, for, for coaches is because kids then don't get weirded out with that school mentality. I've got, oh, if I get this wrong, then I'm going to be really you know, embarrassed in front of my peers. But also it, 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 it enables every single kid to access the question. And that's the key to teaching and learning. Right? You can't just throw generic questions out there. You've got to get, make sure that every question, call the questions a golden nugget. If you're going to ask a question, facilitate that question to all learners at all times. Right? And that's how your whole team are going to improve. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great, great point. And, you know, something that you just really resonated with me with, and that is, you know, my experience of delivering coach education. I think I delivered an event a few weeks back. Um, and... I'm conscious about the timeframes I've got to kind of deliver, especially theoretical parts and how much maybe insight I want to kind of give from myself, but how much I want to maybe pull out from the people in front of me. Because, you know, I'm sure you'll agree, obviously, when you're in rooms of coaches or even people in general, there's a lot more experience looking at you than there is you looking at them. And I think from that perspective, what I tend to do is actually write, I'm going to ask maybe one question rather than me sit here and talk for five, six, seven, eight minutes. And now I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to pull out the information from all of you and get you guys to share it without even realising you're sharing. And then actually quiz you then on the back of that. Right, has anyone got any thoughts on what anyone else has said here or any tweaks that they might make to anyone else's approach, if you like? And I think that there, without them realising it, 
is almost setting that environment for a more collaborative development approach, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. And, and effect, yeah, sorry to interrupt you quickly, but affecting all learners is, is the key. So, mm-hmm. you know, just imagine that coach asks one question, one kid's answered, and then the coach moves on and in, in their session plan or in their methodology or in their, you know, the flow of their session. But actually, it's nine kids thinking result. I didn't get asked that question. No one asked me. No one asked me to think about the question. You know, and the thinking time is key. And then the pair share is where me and you would discuss it in twos. And the think pair share square means we just go from ones, twos to fours. And then that and that conversation becomes less embarrassing for the kid or quite opportunity. And then over time, you know, over 12 to 18 months to two-year period, we then get more kids putting their hand up for that one question that you asked because they have had more, you know, I call it, you know, emotional literacy and how important literacy is. But literacy basically means speaking and listening reading and writing uh, and communication so you know we've got not in a rude way we've got coaches out there that haven't got great literacy literacy skills but this is why speaking and listening is so important you know and making sure your kids are reading because the more they read the more words they've got to use in their vocabulary to be able to articulate how they feel i think you know, part of that maybe is some coaches are just trying to make trying to take shortcuts as well because i mean one of the things i've observed in my, in my experience is the coaches um lack of desire or lack of lack of intention to actually want to maybe put on a visual demonstration for a player it doesn't have to be done them themselves it could be maybe putting players together in positions where they can actually do the demonstration on their behalf and what i often say to coaches is like actually you, you you're always better off doing the demonstration from the get-go and if you want to talk about it talk about it while the demonstration is going on because there's going to be people that are going to take your demonstration and that's what they're going to need before they can actually crack it there's going to be people that can just literally rely on your visual you say your verbal instruction but the problem you're always going to have is if your verbal instruction doesn't work out, you're going to have to end up showing it anyway. So you might as well just crack two birds with one stone, get that going. And then maybe an approach to that is also maybe by understanding and learning about the individuals within your group, identifying who's maybe a, if you like, if you want to go to learning styles, look at who do, who likes to, you know, to whose preferred prefer learning style is to listen, whose preferred learning style is to watch and whose preferred learning style is to take part in and handpick those people to actually be involved in different elements. So if it is someone that wants to be involved, put them in a demo. If it is someone that you know that prefers to watch it, leave them out of the demo. And if it's someone that just understands the instruction, they can throw them in as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I just think, again, it links to your timelines. I mean, we've all seen sessions where it takes seven minutes to get a demo done and get it what you want. And then there's other ways to say, look, crack on lads or kids and all the kids are looking at each other going what are we doing what are we doing you know get that you get that first team level as well where the players aren't listening to anything the coach is saying or the or the coach hasn't explained it properly and then you know the key the key is the key is the folding sandwich you know folding sandwiches the food keeps falling out and can you just keep folding the main parts back into the sandwich to create to create a pacey effective top-end learning session where where we've got a mix of everything because I do think pace is key. Now you can do a demo. Yes, I'm going to you know challenge you on it. I know in a polite way to you, you can do a demo. Demo takes sort of six minutes, and then the kids are so flipping bored that you've lost them. So I do I do think it just links to your timelines. You know, if you're out there for 90 minutes and you're trying to win an FA Cup or a Cup final, then you probably need to do some walkthroughs and some phases and patterns. So there's real clarity. But if if again you're a, you know a Sunday league team and you're just playing some some, you know, small seven-a-sides, six-a-sides, five-a-sides or four-v-fours, then, you know, your methodology changes. So, again, I can't answer it. It just, it just depends. Everything is about context, isn't it? Everything. I 100% agree with that. So, Steve, you know, just kind of just... 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Much a bit more on your, on your experiences in terms of building those relationships and setting that environment for the players. What are some of the things that you think maybe coaches could start to consider in terms of actually just building those initial relations, building more trust between them and the players so that the players do have pay, you know, do want to pay more attention to what they're saying. You know, um, I would, yeah, I'd be finding out every single thing you can about every single human being. All right, hook a bike crook, find out, you know, working in professional football, find out things that genuinely matter to them. You know, some of the things I'm learning about my players that I do one-to-ones with is fascinating. I've got one player, Wimbledon, all we talk about is Oasis, the band. Because I know it makes him smile and it makes him relax. So just just zoom out. I call it zooming in and zooming out. You know my language. You know zooming in is just talking about technical, tactical, and zooming out. It's just saying what what am I actually trying to achieve here? What is the actual objective? You know, if you're a Sunday League manager and 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 you and you're bothered about winning trophies, then that's fine. I'm not a big lover of those sort of coaches. But again, if you've got a load of kids that can win trophies, I'm not going to go out there and say don't win, am I? Like that'd be weird. But I suppose it's 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 the coaches that pitch it wrong. You know, you've got a mid-table team and you're driving yourself mad and the parents mad and the players mad and your players ain't that good. And all you're doing is upsetting them and pissing them off every week because you haven't pitched your your tone, your messages uh, and your teachings to to the level which is going to give them access to, to this. And so I suppose that goes back to my experiences. I've had school teams that have won the London Cup. I've had school teams that got beat 10-0. So, you know, I don't, I don't treat the kids the same way because the kids are beat 10-0. All I can do next year is stop them getting beat 10-0 and make them get beat 5-0. And that's the only controllable. But I just don't think there's many people that think in that way. It's all, it's all very uh, narrow and, and it can't be, you know, development isn't narrow, yes, is it? I think it's, it's, no, it's a great point. It definitely is narrow. I think it is definitely understanding that it's not a, it's not a straightforward journey. Either. It's not a point. It's not a straight way point A to B in a straight line. It, it does sometimes, you know, have its peaks and troughs. And I think that's really important to remember. So I guess really what you're saying there is, you know, by hook or by crook, find out everything you can, but really just try and tune in on what's going to help that player stay on course in that journey and what's going to help you bring them back on track when they when you see that they're kind of derailing off it, if you like. And it might just be that simple conversation around Oasis, if that's what their interests are. It might be, it might be, you know, if we go back to an earlier example, it might be taking them away from the context and actually playing a game with darts to take their mind off things and actually spending that time. But there's going to be a lot of coaches, obviously, you know, if we're talking about different environments and different contexts, in those environments, you might have the luxury of actually being in with the players every single day. You might actually be in the, in the environment where you've got access to different things within the 
in, in, the, in the immediate club environment, if you like, that you can actually go and explore, whether that be, like you said, you know, a chessboard or a darts board or a PS5 or wherever that might be. But actually, there's going to be a lot of coaches listening to this that might not have those luxuries. Yeah, of course. But so, again, the, the, that's where we've got to push creativity. Yeah. Now, stop doing, if you do what you always done, then you get what you always got. So we've got to use social media. We've got to use visuals. We've got to use YouTube. We've got to use questions rather than answers. We've got to create curiosity for our players. We've got to create curiosity for our parents. We need to upskill ourselves with pedagogical approach. The reason I say pedagogy, people don't know what that means. It's teaching and learning styles, a teaching and learning toolbox. We need to, we need to up influence the parents on the Carol Dweck and what the science tells us. Now, there's too many people in football, yes, with opinions, right? And they haven't, got, they haven't got facts to back up their opinions. So we need to just get away. And the reason, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not shy of an opinion, but actually people don't realise this. My opinions come from a place of passion and love. Also, my opinions come from a big, a big research base about how we develop people. You know, so, you know, reciting the stuff that I recite at an academic level underpins what I do on an operational level uh, with the kids. You know, I'm not just making this stuff up. This, is, this stuff has been researched for years and it's proven to help support people. You know, so even things like Abraham Maslow, you know, you start, you know, the average coach on the street is not going to know about Abraham Maslow. So people need to go and look up Abraham Maslow and find out what he did. And, you know, we won't talk about that now. But that, that's what I'm trying to say. Is let's, let's bring a science to what we're doing, yes. The underlying within everything what you've just said there is, and the real question that is jumping out at me is, what's your why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because there's a lot of coaches that are going to jump out. Well, I don't have the time to do that, Steve. I've only got my players an hour a week. I, you know, I work a full-time job alongside yeah. coaching an academy job or coaching a grassroots team. So where do I find the time to do it? You know, I don't even plan my sessions until I get in my car on the way to the session. So, you know, I guess those are some of the realistic challenges in, I guess, if you like, reasons or excuses that people might give as to why they can't do these things. But I think the question, like I said, really jumps out at me below that is everyone worth asking, what's your why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you going to do it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and again, you know, I'm not, not saying that everyone's got to be the same, but if you're making all the effort to get up on a Sunday morning, you know, at least do it properly. You know, that, maybe that's just me. Like, you know, you, no disrespect, but like you just said, you know, you're doing a master's. We talked about this offline. You're doing a master's, like, with a full time job and a family. And I, you know, we found that I knew, you know, I've known you a long time, but we knew about that. And I did a master's, you know, with a full time job. So that's not a coincidence. While we're probably talking on a podcast because we want to do more, don't we? So I, I get, I get the reality of it. But at the same time, you know, you, 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 it's what life is basic. If you if you put an effort in, then you're going to get effort out. So these coaches can't have all the excuses because otherwise, you know, they should they shouldn't be they shouldn't be in the game really, should they? You know, I, I, listen, I, I sound a bit hard because I know there's loads of people that are doing it for the love of it. But if you're doing it for the love of it, find out what other people are doing and steal their ideas and, and make your concepts better. You know, I'll give you an example. If I'm if I don't know what I'm doing, right, we're turning up to training session because I've all been there. I was a school teacher all those years and planned bloody every week. But I'm I'm teaching through games all day long. You know, I'm having standard shit. I'm having a ball each, right? So can I, you know, the step process, space, time, equipment, people, you know? So if, you, if, if listeners aren't aware of that, how much space you got, that linked to what you do. How much time you got, that linked to what you do. How much equipment have you got and what are your ratios of people? You know, making sure you go from, from ones to twos to fours rather than some people doing ones to threes to fives. And, you know, as you know, the flow is absolutely destroyed. And 
you know, some people aren't even thinking about that and, and not in a rude way. Why would they think about that until people like you and me, you know, lead them to the water, but they got to be able to drink it, haven't they? And I think that's a, that's a great way to kind of summarise it because I think that's, that's really what I was trying to touch on earlier is that some people, why would they think about it? There's nothing that's, in, that's even influenced them or provoked them to even start thinking about certain different aspects of things because, you know, what you don't know, you don't know. So I guess, I think, the, the again, what the underlying thing for me there is, is people have to start making more of an effort to find out the things they don't know about. Yeah. So I guess, you know, what would your advice be to coaches who are maybe stuck in that way where actually they're, they are tunnel vision, but they are genuinely passionate and intentional about trying to find out more? Is there any particular methods or strategies that you've maybe applied in your own journey that you think, oh, actually, do you know what? When I started reflecting in this way or when I started becoming more consciously um, aware in this way, that was a game changer, if you like. Yeah, I just, I just think my, my super strength yeah, is an obsession with learning. I was like, one life. So I know I'm random like that, but I get one life, one life to impact the world. So I'd be an idiot to not be want to be around good people, to not want to read good books, to not want to to not want to upskill myself. I call it the downgrade. Who wants to be the downgrade coach? <laughs> Who wants to be that coach that's, that gets mugged off by the kids when you can be the best coach? No, no, no I think it's a great way to put it, Steve. But the thing, the other, I think the only challenge with that is. Let's say you're a new coach, maybe, or a coach early on in the experience, um, or a coach who's been stuck in, in an environment for so long that they haven't been stretched and challenged enough. Is it, It's quite easy to maybe, if you are the latter, assume that you're already doing what you need to be doing. But if you're the former and you're, you're a new coach into the environment, sometimes it's maybe difficult and hard to maybe assess what, what is good practice. Totally, totally. And that's when you just need to bang out hours, don't you? You can have all the theory in the world, Right, you know, you're listening to my uni lecturers and then and then your uni lecturers are talking utopia out of the textbook. Then you go to a South London comprehensive and you got, you know, genuinely, I had 42 kids and two balls in year 11, core PE. So I've got two balls and I've got 42 kids. So guess what? I'm doing a game. You know what I mean? And it's only only until you 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 realise that the reality of what you're dealing with and then you, you're banging out hours and everyone says to me, you know, I said to a colleague at Cardiff every week, like, everyone says to me, like, uh, how have you got obsessed with self-awareness? And I say, well, it was all default. It was all luck. Because kids used to say, sir, this lesson shit. You know, and then I'm like, bloody hell, do I want to be mugged off by the kids? And then I'm driving home, Devo, going, flipping out, I've got to get better here. Because if I don't get better, then who wants to be, who wants to be the downgrade teacher? So I suppose that through default, you know, I worked in schools. And, and I say this, so, I'm so proud to work in schools. But if you worked in a, in a middle-class comprehensive, the kids wouldn't have the minerals to, to tell you your crap, would they? So, I've, you know, I've fluked a lot of this stuff because the kids would just tell me, sir, this ain't good enough. And I, and I think that's a great point. I think it's something now it could be just the environment that you're in in particular that allowed you to come across that environment or that experience of, the, te- the I guess, the kids being open and honest with their feelings about how they thought about how they felt about you in that session. Um, was that the case? Or was it something that you did to set the environment, allow them to be more free, uh, free with their thoughts, if you like? Well, I mean, yeah, it just, what I'm trying to say is I'm only human and I, and I did my best to plan my lessons to the best of my ability. But yeah. They would say, Mr. Salis, Mr. Jones down the corridor is miles better than you. You know, you're, you're not you're up to the level. So you, you have a decision to make on on how you improve. And, and obviously how you improve is hook or by crook is stealing the best ideas from a multitude of professionals. That's where 
you know, I'm a, you know, I also worked at school, which was 2,800 kids. So that enables me to be mass, you know, mass audience to learning, you know, learning from the kids, yeah. and, you know, and learning from staff. So I, you know, I work with some unbelievable staff uh, and they didn't have, they didn't have a UA for A, but they might as well have had in their field. No, no, I, I, I totally I can, uh, you know, appreciate that because I think there's a lot of coaches now who I see that are getting more qualified. I think, I think, you know, I think it's become easier to get qualified. Um, I think there's less um, stringent processes in terms of assessing whether people are at the right level for all these qualifications. In fact, in fact, I don't even know if some of the people doing the assessments are even aware of what, what the right level actually should look like anymore. Yeah. Because it's so clouded. Um, and, you know, whilst I appreciate and, and, and see some of the benefits of the way of courses are being assessed now and, and coaches are being qualified now, I think it's just made it even more difficult and challenging to justify anyone based on their qualifications, you actually now physically will have to see them to see whether they can actually do the job, um, which obviously then makes it harder for clubs and, and people to actually recruit and um, employ people. Because nowadays, it's, or if you've got a rationale for it, yeah, you, you're good. Forget whether the rationale is good enough or not. It's just, it, I don't know, the whole process has changed in that respect. So I guess on that then, you know, you talked there about coaches, also teachers and your colleagues that haven't been given, you know, in your opinion, they should be highly qualified or recognised as highly qualified individuals based on what they do. What are some of the things that maybe you think are those skills and those traits which allow co uh, teachers or coaches to be successful when actually, you know what, those are the must-haves to make sure that they're effective and just get successful in their environments, if you like? Uh, well, no, no one wants a boring coach, mate, do they? You know, no one wants one that's monotone and, and boring and can't make fun of themselves and, and you know, don't get me wrong, there's a level of seriousness to 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 profession and coaching and teaching, but no one wants a boring one. So I think that's the first thing is if you, you know, you're a pretty sensible person, then you've got to be extra special with your session design. I, I wasn't the best coach or teacher and I'm still not, but I suppose that I do enough and I got through enough to my environment. I worked out, worked backwards what was going to work. You know, if I worked in, you know, if someone asked me to teach A-level physiology, I, I, all my kids would fail because I don't know anything about A-level physiology. So, you know, there's only so much charisma that can get you through that, isn't there? Um, so I do think that that, that character calibre thing is a fine line. You know, if, you, if you're coaching Man City and you don't go in there with a pressing, you know, out-of-possession process, then you're going to get found out. So I'm also not your man for that because I don't coach for a living these days. But, yeah... A basic everyday level I think the character is key it may be on playing down subject knowledge because I've, I've got you know not a big anyway I've got so much of it so I just assume that that's a prerequisite to excellence but I just think that my x factor has been yeah I know stuff about stuff but also it's bringing that to life and and I just don't want to be boring so I'm going to try you know make every session as as not necessarily fun but as stimulating as I can you know, making sure there's this challenge, but you know, as you know, in coaching and teaching, you get this wrong all the time because you just don't pitch it right. And only experience pretty much knows what level to pitch it at. And I mean, when I mean experience, I mean loads of failures. You know, it's only failures that make you learn, really, if we're honest, isn't it? A hundred percent. I think one of the things that's definitely helped me over the years is um, I've started to ask more questions to the athletes and the players that are in my sessions around actually what are the bits about the sessions that I'm particularly doing that they're enjoying. 
and it's not necessarily because you know, whether it's a point system, whether it's um, the fact that it's working at a particular intensity or whatever those factors may be. And I guess there's three kind of things that I've come up with that really work for me. And it's it doesn't have to be a game. It doesn't have to be a game, you know. And if it, 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 the one thing I've understood and learned is that if a player ever comes to me and says, "Yes, can we play a match?" It's often a sign to say whatever I've been doing up to this point is actually boring the hell out of them. Yeah. Um, the second thing is obviously when 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 you're not, when I'm planning that it's right. Okay, what was it about today's session in particular that you did enjoy? And like I said, it might be intensity. We like the fact that it was back and forth. We like the we like the fact that there was more transitions, and everything I try and do within the practice is something that I try and relate to make it game realistic. So I know that if they are enjoying certain bits of the game or certain bits of the practices I'm doing, they're still based on realistic elements. So I want to try and include those bits as often as possible in the way that they've enjoyed it as possible. Cause I know that eventually it's going to get to a point where players are going to be coming to speak. Yes. Can we do that practice or can we do this practice? Mm-hmm. And the moment they've come to me and said that I've already got their buying, I've, I've got them hooked in now. I've, I've almost given myself that credit, if you like, to say, well, actually, Steve, you've come to me, you've told me you want to do this session. We're now doing this session. You're not pulling your weight. Mm. Here we go, then. So when you are in the car and you're in planning your session, what's your, what's your baseline session? What's your go-to? Well, what, no, what are you thinking about an hour when you've got an hour and a half a week with the kids? What are you doing? Uh, I think it depends largely on what maybe what the environment is. So it depends on the theme of what uh, theme of, of the session or the, the syllabus, if there is one. But typically, if I'm being honest with you, a lot of my sessions start with 1v1s, 2v2s, and then I just and then I just evolve it from there because a lot of the, the work I do is based around me unpacking the situation with the players and getting them to be aware of the context and the awareness of the situation around them in terms of how, how they're being impacted by the... I'm going to have to pause you for two seconds. These guys are... Yeah, <laughs> yeah so for me, it's... A, you know, typically I'd start with maybe some 1v1 stuff, some 2v stuff, because I don't, I'm not, I don't really like the idea of unopposed work. It's not, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why we do it. I mean, I do know why we do it, but it just doesn't seem to me the most effective way of working, if you like. Right, tell me why that is. <laughs> I think it will have some benefits, but I just don't think it, it outweighs the benefits of opposed work. And an opposed work, in my opinion, doesn't have to be fully opposed where I'm fooling on you. But I like to look at it almost like a thermostat where I dial up and dial down the pressure. So I'll give you an example. The lowest pressure of unopposed of, of opposed work for me could be, right, Steve, you're going to play 1v1 against me, but actually I'm only going to shadow you. Yeah, okay. What, what level of players are you working with at the moment to make you do that? Or is that just is that for any level of football? It's a blanket approach for me. Is it? Yeah. Um, See, sorry to interrupt you here because... Because me and Ben Bartley disagree on this all the time in a, in a, you know, in a mate's way. He, he swears by what you say. He says that unopposed. No, I might be wrong, but I'm sure Ben has said that to me many a time. I haven't spoke to him in a while. And I'm like, well, no, Ben, I've, I've, got, I've had kids at school, and this links to the level and the context and the environment, that cannot even keep a locked ankle to do a side foot. Right? So I, I can remember this a million times. They can't even get their non-kicking foot to stand next to the ball. They haven't got the physical literacy. So why am I going to do some opposed practices when we haven't got that now? That is why, and even when, and listen, by the way, this is why it's so healthy talking to you. Even when I'm working with pros, the reason I like five, six, seven minute um, unopposed work and notice I say five, six, seven minutes, otherwise you get bored the hell out of, 
is because pros, in terms of 10,000 hours and ball manipulation, and they still have to revisit. You know, I'll give you, give you an example with tennis, right? When tennis players warm up in tennis, people would know this. They don't go to the back of the court and start hitting balls. They, they play in the, in, the, in the service box. I think, I mean, I've played tennis as well growing up, and I, and I think the difference with tennis is that it's not a sport that's immediately impacted on an opposition. Obviously, the opposition is only responding to you. Yeah, of course. Rather than them being actually directly impacted on your ability to do something. But we are talking about skill acquisition here. Yeah. So that's my, that's my methodology on it, by the way. That's, yeah. That's not, and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying skill acquisition... There yeah. is a massive, in my opinion, there's a massive element for unopposed work in the right place and the right time. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I, I, just to be clear, I'm not saying it doesn't have benefits. I definitely agree that it has benefits. I just don't think it outweighs the benefits. No, fair enough. No, 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 fair enough. Um, so, you know, just to give you an example, I mean, for about three years, I ran a project where it was uh, a girls' football project, and most of the girls had never even kicked a ball yeah. into this environment. Yeah. Right, um, and they were going from age four up to age eleven. Yeah. Um, so across the program, we had about forty-eight girls, and across the three years, um, literally the session would be a two-hour session, Saturday morning, no games, uh, so no match day. It was literally just a training session once a week. Yeah. Three years, and literally the session would consist of the first 20, 30 minutes would be one v ones. So it would be right me against Steve, two minutes, me against so-and-so for two minutes, and so on and so forth. You get around the whole group, basically, right? Depending on how many numbers were there, they'll probably pay about maybe eight to 12 different opponents in that first block. But the key thing is every every single bit, it was literally 1v1, fully opposed. There'd be a goal on this end, a goal on this end. Everyone who's a, who's a, who's number one in a pair would shoot in this goal. Everyone who's number two in a pair would shoot this goal. Very simple. You'd have to go in and out of players. You'd have to play against the person you're playing against. But actually, every two minutes, you're changing your opponent. And there wasn't even any instruction around technical information. Um, in fact, I've kind of slowly now, I'd say I probably I probably don't even give much technical information. I probably just give more prompts, yeah. areas for consideration. So where you're talking about locking the ankle when placing the non-kicking foot, actually, I'm not even going to do that. I'm not even going to give you that information. I'm going to ask you to work it out by helping you and guiding you on that way. And it, it might be that for you as an individual. But again, yeah. And let's, let's meet in the middle here. Cause I think yeah. the listeners need to know this. Yeah. That again, links to your timelines. If you've just said you've got five, six years with these kids. Yeah. And, and from my point of view, I've got an hour a week with, with these kids. So, you know what I mean? Or two hours a week. So I do, yeah. I know you've only said you have two hours a week, but what I'm trying to say is in, in, in an, in a term, you know, mm-hmm. we're moving on after football, we're moving on to something else. So I think this links a lot to coaching and mentoring. And, you know, I haven't got these kids, so I've got to be able to speed up the learning process without as much exploratory, you know, type learning. Because because I think from my experiences that that's actually going to accelerate them in terms of skill acquisition to be able to enable them to play a game in a year's time and they don't kick a ball again for another year. Anyway, so I'm listen. I'm not being. You know, I think we're meeting in the middle. I think that, but that's what experts do. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. I don't want people listeners to with lower level or listening to this thinking everything we say take it literally because that is another problem with with coaching, isn't it? A hundred percent, and I think it's spot on. And I think you know, just to give more context there, you know, it was two hours a week, um, pretty much during term time as well. So I understand the constraints that that can give as well because you do want to kind of see 
um, as 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 vast as an improvement as possible within that within the space of time that you got with him. But one of the things I definitely saw, and I was very surprised because I've never actually taken this approach on a on a longer term project, if you like. Yeah. Um, but one of the kind of buy-ins for me to be involved in the project was actually I want to coach it in this way because I want to see, I want to know how this works. I've got this idea, I think it's going to work, and I, I want to try it. And basically, I was. Like I said, first 20 minutes was 1v1s. That then evolved to 2v2s. And then the third 30, third 20 to 30 minutes evolved to 3v3s. And in the last 30 minutes or so, we'd, we'd play a match and then usually finish off with some form of a game that they that would be the girl's choice, which would be maybe a numbers game or whatever they want. Mm. It's completely not related to anything that we've been doing in the build-up. Very little to basically no technical information other than prompts and guides and questions. And the improvement I saw from session one for, let's say, a five-year-old girl who'd never kicked a ball to session, let's say, 10, 10 weeks later was immense. Yeah, fair and enough. Yeah. Purely from just opposed work. Now, the only difference, only difference I, would, I would make in that is actually maybe being a bit clearer with them early on to say that, Well, maybe not even being clear about actually just reinforcing early on everyone's going to have a different process everyone's going to have a different journey here but we're all going to we're all going to strive to achieve the same out the same challenge yeah, yeah, yeah of course and and to know what where 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 i really want to emphasize this i i i i've shared this a lot to a lot of people four plus four five plus three six plus two and seven plus one right we all know what the outcomes are for those those four sort of methodologies. And I do think that we need to be more open, particularly with all the Twitter warriors uh, that really emphasise that actually there's so many ways to be correct. Um, and we've got to almost take the ego away um, because I, I think that I think there's loads of ways to, to develop players. Um, and I think there's there's got to be more uh, appreciation of everyone's methods I think that I think, I think my confidence comes from you know having I've got two world class athletes on my books uh, and I've got forty thousand kids in the bank uh, and and I I now work backwards so I, I listen I know that opposed practice is massive and opposed practice in my opinion I agree is still more important than unopposed however yeah. uh, with every learning experience there's just yeah, what what I mean is when they along the back foot, and you've got one of the two eleven, I want to body shape, which which will indent the player who I'm protecting the ball from your left shoulder. Vice versa, player on the right shoulder. I've had a good time talking to you tonight, and I, and I think again, you know, the, the beautiful thing about this conversation is that it has been a conversation, hasn't it? Rather than you yeah, know, sometimes yeah. podcasts, it'd be interesting to see what feedback we get, and um, I urge keep people to challenge each other because. Um, that's how we get the best out of each other. But when we challenge each other, just remind all your listeners, make sure it's always professional, never personal. And then you know, we're always coming at it from a respectful lens in the world, mate. I definitely appreciate that. Steve, look, thank you again for your time this evening. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, it has been much more of a conversation than a, a, anything else. And, I, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So, you know, as always, pleasure. Um, until next time, man. Take care. Ledge ass, top man. Cheers, guys. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. 
And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.